All right. Well, hey everyone. Welcome to another episode of Off the Pulpit. My name is Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. We're three pastors and three friends conversing on life, culture, and church off the pulpit. Uh, good to see the boys again. Good to have everyone here. I know it's been a while um, since it's been just us three, um, but had a lot of good guests in the past couple months. We have a lot of more guests coming up in the next couple months. So excited for that. But today, wanted to meet just us three, uh, have a quick, efficient chat about prayer. Um, about We've done an episode on disciplines before, but we wanted to just focus one on prayer itself, just the mystery of it and our own thoughts and our own experience and what scripture says. So we'll get into that. But as usual, mailbag. Uh, thank you for all the questions. A little last minute today, but got too many, so I had to cut them down as usual. Um, some soft questions for all of us to start with. Um, if you could play for one coach in any sport, dead or alive, who would it be for any three of us? Great question. I like Greg Popovich. Any Any reason why? seems like he's like creates like a system of coaches and they do well so mm-hmm. yeah i like That's that very true very true maybe coach k coach oh, yeah. k is he he's retired now right he's retired. everything yeah damn i would not want to play for nick saban he's he seems very abusive um yeah he he like there's something about him bill belichick that are like the greatest in their fields but i don't i don't the idea of playing for them yeah isn't appealing to me like he would be an abusive lead pastor. It, the ministry would be great. <laughs> it would be great. But but uh but shout respect to Alabama football. Um next question. Um in our churches, this is a good question. What determines a staff or elder to be uh, full time in pay? Uh you know, I think all of our staff have various amounts of full time pay and also half time, maybe part time for all three of us. So yeah, I know um every philosophy is a little bit different. I know that's also a, a curious question that's kinda hard to ask your own pastor but yeah it might be good to discuss that so yeah in our churches what determines a staff or elder to be full-time and pay we usually do it based on hours so what how many hours does the position require obviously like if they have the position the hours might vary they might do more than like what they're asked to do but it's hours for us yeah i'd say um hours and you know obviously different churches have different capacities to um you know, uh, make certain people full-time. But like, if you were to ask a pastor, what positions would you want full-time? You know, which positions would you want part-time? I do think also along with hours, it, it has a lot to do with vision, you know, mm-hmm. like what, um, what does your church care about and value? Cause I do think sometimes people equate full-time with like, there's a lot of people you're overseeing in that ministry or, you know, um, but sometimes like smallest ministries can warrant a full-time position if that's an integral part of the vision of your church. So I do think that's important as well. Yeah, similar vocabulary at our church. I think what we say is uh, we determine if that position is mission critical. That's a very businessy term. But if, if we deem that to be, even if it's like a, a prayer role or just hypothetically, but we value that, um, we would be open to full-time pay for that. So that's how we determine that at our church. Um, great. Uh, other questions. Uh, should I feel guilt if I refuse to participate in church activities like small group, community group, serving, or other activities? I feel like we've answered a lot of questions in a similar vein, but yeah, any any thoughts on that particular wording of that question? I'm not sure if I like that phrase. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, yeah, no, but I do think you should. That's an important question to ask would be why, you know, why don't you want to be involved in the church? And I think that'll probably yield some answers. I think it's also a difference of, are you a member or are you a church like attendee? Because I do think there are different expectations of members and that might be different for every church. So, Would you ever approach someone that's been quote unquote attending for like five years at your church? Or would you kind of give them space? approach someone about serving or something or just oh, like, like if hey they've been there for a while like how can yeah like remember? yeah yeah yeah. or would you like give space to that oh. person i think we'd like inquire like you ever think about membership mm. but if they're like oh not not ready yet it's like it's all good okay mm-hmm. just curious cool hope that helps yeah i don't feel guilt that's just uh 
that's just Satan working in our Asian ways. But it's more of like, also, if you don't do those things, like, why come? Like, you can you can watch YouTube of John Piper or Tim Keller, you know, so that's, I would only throw that in. Um, another question, more of an introspective one. Has life gotten harder as you walked in faith? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess the general gist is just, I, you know, all three of us are in kind of different stages of life, but has it gotten more difficult as we've grown older, especially regarding our faith? Oh, so not as you, not being becoming a Christian, but more so as you've grown as a Christian? I think so. I think that's uh, what they're uh, asking. If I'm mistaken, I'm wrong, but. Hmm. I feel like it's like marriage. Like, I'm not sure harder is the right word, mm. but maybe deeper. Mm. Yeah, that'd probably be a better way to put it. Mm. You know, I think we'll, we'll do an episode on like stage theory and Dark Knight of the Soul because I think I kind of answered some of it that like to get more mature in your faith, your life's going to suck. Um, but we'll get into that another episode. Um, some other question. <laughs> we just had someone uh, just respond with the word gossip. And uh, that that was it. So, but I thought it'd be interesting. Um, what what counts as gossip to you uh, in in church life? Like, I know it's a term that should be weighty, but often just kind of thrown around like, "Hey, don't gossip, don't gossip." So, I guess for you guys, what what qualifies as gossip? And any any thoughts of gossip in our particular ethnicity and our church groups? I I think this might partially answer the question. I know when it, it gets weird when someone tells you hey this person told me this about you please don't tell them i told you and so it's like now this weird thing where you know someone said something about you but you're not allowed to say anything about them that kind of is like i think the level of like gossip where you're talking about someone that's significant that's negative but you're not telling them but you're telling other people and just creates like kind of dysfunctional relationships as a result so i would constitute gossip being something along those lines and it creates discord because yeah, like you can't really talk to them about it unless they talk to you personally about their grievances. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that the only thing I would add to that is I think a big part of gossip um, it is connected to a person's heart. I think I remember, um, I don't remember where I saw this definition, but they talked about gossip, the sin of gossip as bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Um it's almost like you're entertaining yourself with something shameful about someone else. Um, and I do think that's the, that's a big component of it. It's not just the content of what you're talking about. It's also the heart that, that, um, is coming from. I hope that was helpful. Uh, two weightier questions to end, uh, the mailbag with first is this, uh, any thoughts on Mike Bickle and the IHOP scandal currently happening? So if you guys don't know, IHOP, uh, it stands for International House of Prayer. It's out in the Midwest. I think Kansas City. I could be wrong. Um, but somewhere in that region. Very popular. Uh, make a lot of worship music. Um, kind of lead the charge, at least in America, with uh, the charismatic kind of prayer movement. Um, they're really big on 24-7 prayer. Uh, most recently, uh, Mike Bickle, who's the lead and founding pastor of this movement, uh, was accused of verified uh, accounts of sexual abuse and assault and some shady things um but yeah i guess i don't want to put it this way but you know another day another pastor uh but any thoughts on this scandal in particular in general that could help our listeners process they're the biggest like charismatic entity right right now yeah yeah okay much, i don't know i don't know much about what's going on or who they are mm. yeah i mean it's sad and I hate to be cynical, but you know, I will say that there, I, having known a lot of people who've been through IHOP and things like that, there were a lot of yellow red flags from years ago. And I think, I mean, we've talked about it on this pod and, you know, I do think, um, I don't think there's a tribe that is free of potential scandal, but I do think it can be particularly insidious in a charismatic context when you have a lot of people and a culture of God told me this, or I heard God say this, or, 
you know, I believe this is the will of the Lord. Um, I do think that can be, create a culture of control and abuse. And I think we're seeing kind of like the ugly fruit of that. And yeah, I'm just obviously heartbroken because I know how many people have been impacted by that ministry. So not only the, vict the victims who were directly affected by everything that happened, but like the millions of other people around the world um, who really looked at IHOP as kind of a, as a beacon. Um, yeah. And it's kind of a weird thing too, because it's not like they're like part of IHOP right now, but a lot of people went through that like six, 10 years ago. And now they're hearing about this thing they experienced in their past that it, something happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, I know that um, they're not exactly the same, um, but IHOP has a lot of connections with like, Bethel, YWAM, you know, there are um, like, it's, yeah. it's arms extend, you know, beyond just IHOP itself. I see. Yeah. Like I know some people that almost viewed visiting the IHOP center in Kansas city as like their own pilgrimage. It's like uh, Vatican like, for them? A little bit. Or like, you know, uh, Muslims going to see, uh, you know, going there for, it's like, they almost saw it as that. Um, so I know for a lot of people it's messing them up, but I think to Jason's point that th when I read this, it was more of confirmation that there is no system, there is no denomination, there is no ecclesiology that protects you from any of this. I've heard people look at the Reformed Church and like Driscoll and like, man, like look at that and like, what's wrong with you guys? Now it's like on the other side. So it's just kind of reaffirming that this is just a people problem. And I think more than that, like a celebrity power problem. I just think these platforms... Like Mike Bickle was basically like a the Pope uh, of the uh, charismatic world, and I just huh. think like when systems like that mm -hmm. transpire, it's just there's no I I don't know I, I the the bad always outweighs the good to me, so I, I know it's hard to stop your own momentum and fame and popularity, but that's just that's another thought that came to me too. So, yeah. um, cool. <laughs> Hopefully we get a break with these abuse scandals because I feel like we get asked like every month for what's the current scandal of the day. Um, last question, um, very weighty. I don't think we've talked about this directly yet, but someone did ask us, what are our own thoughts on premarital sex as pastors? So I know there's a lot of baggage with that question, especially within you know Korean American circles and Korean American churches. But yeah, any any candid thoughts on premarital sex as three pastors here? Well, um, we talk about it a lot in premarital counseling. And, you know, I do think when it comes to premarital sex and sex in general, um, especially pastoring an Asian American church, I do think you have to be aware of all, a lot of the baggage people bring to the table with. A lot of people who grew up in purity culture, which we talked about here, who have very kind of... Um, preconceived notions about sex who for for whom sex is associated with a lot of shame so kind of understanding that a lot of our people grew up in contexts where all they were told about sex was it's bad before marriage don't do it stay away from it um, without I think any robust teaching around the beauty of sex the gift that is sex why God gave us sex and so we do spend a lot of time in premarital counseling talking about why God ordains sex as this thing that happens in the context of marriage. And we talk about what sex represents, you know, the word there, the Hebrew word there is the word ekad, which is beyond just a physical act, but it's a, it's a complete fusing of two people emotionally, spiritually, um, physically. And we, you know, the only container, that is powerful enough and strong enough to be able to hold um, such a gift is in the covenant of marriage, you know? And we talk about that because I do think a lot of people just know that, oh, in the church, I heard that people say it's wrong, but they don't give any kind of explanation as to, you know, why we, why we believe what we believe. Yeah, I think because it's becoming more prevalent even in the church and a lot of reasons why it's because we haven't like as jason said had like a robust understanding of what it is it's just more of a prohibition and i think because we're seeing more of it happening within the church it needs to be talked about more 
I think the days of like presupposing like, oh, yeah, everyone knows that you shouldn't do it and they're not doing it. Like, that's just not the case. And I think it just needs to be talked about. And, and uh, our people need to be equipped before marriage about what sex is. Agreed. Uh, we probably will have an episode somewhere down the line on this, too. Probably not just us three, too, because uh, different pers- perspectives will be needed other than three males. So hope that helps um, with that context. <laughs> But today, uh, we wanted to talk about prayer. I think it's something, if you grew up in the church, you feel like you know, you feel like you have to do. But when you really get deep downside, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. And even when I try, I feel like I'm going crazy. So I want to do our best just to discuss that um, and you know, be as honest and transparent as possible. But as usual, I always like doing this, asking you to um, your own personal definitions um, how would you, both of you, um, best define prayer, just as short as you can? I know there's a lot of ideas of it, but I guess for you guys, if you had to sit down with someone, how would you best define prayer to that person? Yeah, I think I'd almost start like defining what it, it isn't. And I think the way a lot of Christians view prayer is they see it like as a, as a spiritual discipline only. And so it's the equivalent of like eating broccoli or vegetables. It's something that's good for you. And I think the mistake of that is you see it as like an ends, not rather than a means. And so that's the first thing is prayer, even though it does take discipline to do it, it's not, you're not doing it for the sake of it. Prayer is meant to be a means to an end. And like the simplest way that I tend to define it for our church is it's talking to God and being with God. Or if you want to put it in a different way, it's communicating with God and communing with him. And so it's a, it's a way or a channel for us to be connected with God and a way to have conversations and to be in his presence. I do like that definition of, of a prayer being a conversation with God. I do think a lot of people see prayer as talking to God um, rather than being with God. Um, and I think it's, it's very different. It, it's actually, it creates a completely different kind of posture even when you pray. Um, you know, you, uh, yeah. So I, I, I see, I, I do think it, it is important to clarify what prayer is not. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so the simplest way, the way I describe prayer to my kids, cause they asked me recently, like, what exactly is prayer? That it is a conversation with God where hmm. you talk to God and you listen to God as yes. well. Yes. Mm-hmm. It simply is conversation. I think that's the best definition that we could come up with. And I, the only two cents I would add to you is. Um, to Tom's point, it's conversation and being with God. And it's not that only when you pray you're with God, but I always liken as you're always with your wife or husband if you're married. The presence is 24-7, or you're, you know, if you're living on the same roof. Um, but when you actually sit down and have a legitimate conversation, not the, hey, how's the kids, check up, hey, get dinner ready, blah, 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 but how are you doing? Um, mm-hmm. There's a deeper level of presence that you finally get to feel in that covenant that you're physically present always, um, but it's just conversation opens that deeper level of presence. And that's what we kind of want to explore today. Like, how do we get there? Um, if We'll talk about this in a little bit, but our prayers have been so one-sided, and I think we've been taught one-sided prayers, that almost in our conversations, it's like we're talking, only trying to change that person's mind, and we're not allowing these conversations to be t- two-sided, right? Mm-hmm. So before we get into all of that... Um, Another basic question, why do we need to pray? So meaning, you know, like uh, talk with God, I can do that here and there. Like, why do I need to make that a habitual thing? What's the importance of that? I feel like it's similar to what you said, Eugene. It's that intentional space, like with the spouse. Again, Mm -hmm. like you're living with your spouse 24 seven, but I know plenty of marriages where it's dysfunctional, not because they're not living together or even like they know what's going in each other's lives, but they just don't have that intentional space to connect with one another. And I think um, it kind of, I know for me, from my, my background, like I actually really saw like, if, as long as I read my Bible, like mm-hmm. I'm just in connection yeah. with God. But when I do that, I feel like it's almost the equivalent of like me reading my wife's like journal. It's like, oh, I'm learning a lot about her, but am I actually like communing with her? And I think that's the prayer is the part where you're actually communing with the other person. And this mm-hmm. is where you're communing with God. And I think you will feel a lack of intimacy if there isn't prayer that's involved in your relationship with God. So it's like just the key to intimacy and experiencing his presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, um, 
I think a lot of people feel like prayer is a way that you escape reality. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I would say I think prayer is an opportunity for you to experience ultimate reality. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is um, I think that so much of our, in the way, so much of our lives are inundated with like false narratives, right? Like, you know, we're, we're busy at work trying to achieve and perform and then we come home, you know, three of us are dads and husbands. We're trying to achieve, perform, you know, trying to be this or that, carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. And I, and I think in prayer, we actually get to experience a reality in which we can simply be and we can simply be loved and accepted and free and experience true rest. And so like, it is sad, I think, and this is for myself as well. It, it's sad, I think, that prayer has become like a heavy yoke for so many people where it's yeah. become like this burden, like, oh my gosh, I have to pray because I think it's actually supposed to be the exact opposite of that. Yeah. It's like the one space, it's a, almost a portal where you can enter into the rest God, promised us, God promises us, you know, um, it's like, um, I think about Psalm 16, um, you know, in your presence is fullness of joy, you know, and prayer is in creating, carving out intentional time and space in God's presence so you can experience life as it was meant to be lived, right? So, yeah, I heard a good gauge of that too. Like, how do you know you're actually like praying in that way is kind of what you mentioned, Jason. It's like, if you pray and it feels like a burden, you're probably like not really praying mm. that way versus when you, you know, you're praying the way Jesus taught us to pray when it's not feeling like a burden, but it's transforming your burdens. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so that's like, just like critical to like, see it that way and experience it that way. Mm -hmm. It's a good point. So I, I would say though, to Tom's point, 99.9% .9 of our listeners view it as a burden. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And before we get into how we pray, or I'll ask you guys, are any of us here naturally like drawn to prayer? Just as a as a person, I feel like Jason, you are just knowing who you are. I could be wrong. Yeah, like in, in terms of like the practices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, scripture was always way harder for me than prayer. Like prayer, I think was more natural. Um, whereas it's I know because he's a singer. Was it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who was it? Singing is praying twice. Right, so. Augustine. I oh, think. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. right. Um, yeah, it, it felt. I think. It, maybe like um for me my biggest hurdle with scripture that god has been really breaking in recent years but scripture always felt so academic and scholastic mm. and prayer definitely felt a little more um whether this was right or wrong it definitely felt a little more touchy-feely which i think as a musician was a more natural fit you know yeah that's interesting i'm like the opposite jason where scripture reading came like really easily and like natural Mm -hmm. And I feel like recently prayer has been like this breakthrough has been happening for me because I, I think I come from more of that. It's probably emotional unhealthiness, but I came from that <laughs> background of scholasticism and so forth. Uh, I do feel like that's the part where I think where you really unlock the like the beauty and and the the power of prayer is when you do combine it with scripture, though. Right. I think like hey. together it's like amazing. Yeah, we should start a church together, man, or a podcast. <laughs> I mean, then you become the Asian John Mark Homer when you combine both, right? <laughs> I'm like Tom too. Like I, I remember someone was like, "Oh, I read Psalms to calm my soul," and I was like, "Oh, I, I read Romans to calm my soul." <laughs> I was like, "You read Psalms? Like what the heck?" Um, but like Tom, I think especially becoming a father and just becoming older, like I also understand the, the 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 lack of just relying on scripture and intellectual knowledge to carry your faith it's just impossible mm -hmm. and you know i think the reverse is very true but before we get into how we pray like why and i guess maybe more for tom but i jason from your perspective too like why is it difficult for most of our listeners to pray i i don't correct me if i'm wrong i would say most of our listeners would enjoy scripture reading would enjoy listening to sermons but praying is difficult. I mean, you know, we kind of mentioned already the um, maybe the the lack of understanding what true prayer is, which we'll get into. But any other reasons why you find it that people find it so difficult to dive into? 
Yeah, I've been thinking about that because we're doing a sermon series on prayer. And one thing I read, which I thought was like really true, is like never in human history has it been harder to pray than now. Mm. Like this is by far like the most difficult time period in human history that Christians are, you know, have struggled with with prayer. And the reasons for that is like, you know, distractions. Like if we have like the world in yes. the palm of your hand, literally yes. your iPhone. If you had to be choosing sitting down 10 minutes in like silence versus watching that TikTok video, TikTok wins like nine out of 10 times. Yeah. We're super affluent. Like, why would you ask God for anything when you could ask Siri? Like, what's the answer to this? I also think for a lot of us here, productivity or the idea of like getting results, it's that's kind of like, you know, whenever you do something, you just want results right away. And that's why even for me, for Bible reading, it was always like a gain because I gained something like knowledge or I understand how like this theology, mm-hmm. this theological point, how to live mm-hmm. versus prayer. Like, what's the result? Like prayer, it's like this long like you don't see the results right away type of practice that's there. And I think we're just not used to that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, totally agree. I think, um, and I think this goes back to a wrong perception of what prayer is because, because we don't see it as a conversation. I think a lot of times we see prayer as a way to move the hand of God to do something for us. Mm. And so when that is the paradigm of prayer, a lot of times you're like, well, I could probably do it myself or, you know, I don't know if it's actually working or I don't see results. So we, we then throw out prayer mm. when it was never meant to be, you know, like God was never meant to be like a genie, you know, but because we see prayer as that, um, I think it's, it's easy to just throw that out. Mm. Like I think about, like, I think about like why, um, and then to go back to kind of Tom's point about affluence, I think about why our parents like went to morning prayer every morning and you know on on some level yes like i think that in my 20s i was like oh that was just legalism and you know but as i get older and i see like the life my parents had when they first came to the states like they were just trying to survive dry cleaners you know they didn't know Mm -hmm. the language the culture like really they didn't know like the first thing about how to raise children in the States, like for them, like it, prayer was truly like, they had no other yep. option. It was desperation. It was, a, it was dependence. Whereas I do think like in our generation, like we, we have all the skills, you know, we, we understand American culture. Um, at least at our church, we're predominantly middle to upper middle class. So when you're already coming from a place of privilege, the idea of prayer is is like, I don't know if I really need that because I have everything I need, you know? And even though you said earlier, Jason, like, like what does prayer do? I, I was reading somewhere, I'm like, that's so true. Like, you guys ever hear the difference between like high power and soft power? Mm-hmm. Like the idea of like high power is like it's a control, soft mm-hmm. power is like influence. Mm-hmm. And that's where companies go wrong is when they practice hard power to try, try to control their employees and so forth. It doesn't yeah. go well mm-hmm. versus influence. That's when you actually win them over. But people choose control because it's a lot faster. It's a lot yeah. more result oriented versus influence takes like time. Yeah. And prayer works far more like soft power than just hard power. Mm-hmm. I think people approach prayer like, oh, you know, God do something. But when you do that, you're trying to control God or you're trying to control people to change them versus yes. prayer. The reason why you keep praying is you're actually asking the spirit to influence them and change their hearts. And I think when you kind of have that shift, prayer makes a little more sense of why it takes so long and why you keep doing it. That's good, mm. yeah. Yeah. You bring up such a good point, Jason, because I realize, we talked this a little bit too, but um, I realized like, when I looked at my parents earlier, at a younger age, I was like, man, these Pharisees and legalists, <laughs> you know, like waking up at 5 a.m. to pray, like God doesn't care what time you pray. But now I realize like, Man, maybe, maybe we need a little bit of legalism in our, in our, uh, <laughs> I want to be careful how I say that, but like, you know, we need discipline and no. just seeing like the fruit of like, man, my parents, it was, I don't, you know, I'm sure there was some of that, but like one thing was for sure, like, even if it was birthed out of pharisaical conviction, I think it was very genuine because like, that's what they had. Like they didn't know English. They didn't know anything. That's, that's all they had. And they prayed loudly in Korean because it was literally desperate cries of help for us. It's hard to pray out loud I've, uh, in terms of generation. And I think it's because 
we lack the need of God's sovereignty in our lives. We're just like, oh, we're fine. We're chilling. And that just speaks to, I guess, our where we're at as a generation too. And dude, like criticize the Korean prayer meetings all you want. Criticize the fundamentalists all you want. Criticize the charismatic tribe all you want. But at least they prayed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and you know that it's it goes to show like why is it that it's so much easier to pray when you're going through something very difficult or you're 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 in a season of your life where you're you feel overwhelmed or you feel helpless, you know? There is something that's connected to that like when you don't feel like you need God, you know, you're not going to pray, you know? And so I do think prayer a um prayer in our lives I, th- I think keller said this like is is to to pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on god for everything you know mm. it creates this posture of dependence mm. um every I, I, had a, I had a epiphany about that because i pulled my back really badly a few weeks ago and so i couldn't move but i remember that whole time i prayed about everything like lord <laughs> let me just grab this cup of water like <laughs> without pain yeah. let me go to the bathroom like please yeah. just without pain and I was literally praying about everything. And it made me realize like, oh, wow, like I don't pray often because I'm just not in pain. Mm. And so that just shows like, that's think that's a norm, the normative for a lot of us is because we're, we don't feel like we're in need. There's no prayer that's really involved in our lives. So again, it speaks to the affluence. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We're like, we're so, <laughs> so I, I always bring up Jay cause he brings up interesting points. Um, but Jay in the sermon, he, again, he he loves random facts about biology. He was a biology major. People don't know that. Or zoology was? major. Sorry, zoology, wow. which is even wilder. But he mentioned how, I don't know if you guys knew this. You know pigs, like domesticated pigs, and the hogs you see in the wild are the same exact animal? Like, I never knew that. And he was saying how the reason pigs look the way with no hair, kind of cute, and like all fat, is because they're grown domesticated with no stress. But if you take a pig... <laughs> and release them into the wild, they start growing tusks and look like a hog, right? And he was saying, and Jay it was like- crazy analogies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, it was, yeah. but you know, he Dude. was like, and we're all pigs, you know, at our church. I was like, whoa, whoa, it's crazy. Dude, but, just pull your back and you'll become a hog, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just <become> really- <laughs> Exactly. I realized like, our lack of prayer shows like, man, we're so, like we're pigs in the panel, you know, just like oink, oink, and we're, we're fine. That's why I've seen, I think our parents prayed out of desperation and I realized I need to pray for the sake of humility, like Mm -hmm. to, to become like the only way I can really humble myself, I realized is to pray more because that's the only way I can remind myself all these things we said. Right. So with all that being said, uh, I want to end with like how we can practically pray. But before we do that really quick as kind of a bridge before we, you know, get there, what are some misconceptions of prayer that maybe we can break down before we get into how we can pray? Cause you know, I want to respect, especially our parents' generation and how they pray. But as I look back to there's certain practices that they might've done or people are like, Oh, that's what prayer is. I am also hesitant or feel like was a misconception. So any of that, any, you guys want to flush out before we get into how we pray? Um, I would say one miscon or two misconceptions about prayer. They're actually the same exact thing, but I would say one misconception is that um, prayer is a way to get God to do what we want Him to do, mm. or um, in some ways that prayer moves the hand of God, you know. Um, but then I do think. There's another misconception that prayer doesn't move the hand of God. And and let me flesh that out. Like, I would say that um, a lot of times um, we see prayer as a way to align God to our will. So it's like, God, this is, here's what I want to do, or here's what I want you to do, and I need you to do it for me. Um, when in fact, it's the other way around that prayer isn't is a way for us to align ourselves to god's heart and god's will the other but on the kind of like on this flip side of that i think we a lot of times we think our prayers don't matter like that okay i'm good if i I don't need to pray for this person because god's gonna do it anyway or not do it depending on what he wants to do but when i when i read scripture it's clear that like 
when God's people contend and intercede on behalf of others, that God responds. So I do think there, it's like a, mm-hmm. it's a thin line, it's a fine balance that we have to kind of like regularly be checking ourselves with, you know? Like on one hand, it's like, when God doesn't respond exactly the way we want, is it that God isn't listening? No, it's not that he's not absent. It's, you know, because that isn't what prayer is. But at the same time for us to not pray um, for something or someone thinking that like our prayers are meaningless, um, that's also a very shallow view of prayer as well. I don't know if that made sense. That makes a lot of sense. No, yeah, for me, there's been like two recent revelations that have been like, like kind of helped me break through prayer. One is really similar to what Jason was saying, which is like our prayers make a real tangible difference in the world and in your life. I feel like a lot of us, we view prayer as like something that's just spiritual and you mainly pray about the revival or it's reach the unreached or like bring your kingdom and so forth. All true, but it's also supposed to be something that makes a difference on your Mondays, like your family. And again, one big foundation for that is like the Lord's prayer. When Jesus teaches us to pray, the first time he gives any type of petitionary intercessory prayer, it's give us this day our daily bread. Like bread is like the most common thing that people receive in the first century. And he says, pray about that. So it's meant to be like this thing that you pray for about regular everyday needs that you have. So that's been like one big thing is the idea that prayer, it's like this tangible real life activity that you involve God in. The second thing that I'm still like wrestling with, I'm just like, breaking my paradigm is the idea that prayer it's not a monologue but it's a dialogue mm. i think a lot of us we view prayer as like i'm just talking to god hoping he hears me but in reality prayer is actually this dialogue where god's actually has something to say to you as well mm-hmm. if you would just like hear him and that's been like really interesting and fascinating the idea that this is this conversation i'm having with god not just god be my therapist where i share my burdens but it's actually a two-way street that's going on i think a lot of us have not been trained to view prayer that way yeah, it's interesting. Like um, when I, once in a while, um, someone will pray for me, um, and you know, I know they have a rich prayer life because as they're praying, they'll like take long pauses to the point where sometimes I think they're yeah. done with the prayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's like they've kind of it's habituated like them like for them like prayer has been that dialogue. And so there are, they're not in a rush to get all the words out. Like you can see that like they'll pray a sentence, kind of like pause, let that sink in, listen a bit, pray more, you know. And I, I find, I see that um, come up a lot, especially when I listen to people pray who've, who I know have been praying for a long time, you know. I heard like, I think was it Paul Miller? He said you could tell a lot about how someone views God just yeah. by listening to them pray. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes totally agree and if it's the same thing repeated it's like hmm. it's a formula it's like yeah, this formula yeah. lake thing yeah mm-hmm. i i like what tom said i think a lot of our misconceptions come from not seeing prayer as a true conversation because a true and good conversation is can be a lot of things and i think that's what like i i think a lot of mis- misconceptions come when we try and make prayer like one thing like oh it's a healing way to heal people it's a way to talk to god it's a way to get things done yes and no but it's everything and i think the biggest thing we miss is that to tom's point prayer ultimately is yes god will move through the prayer but the more important thing for us is that we also are changed in that um process a good conversation at least the ones i've had is not the ones where i change someone else's mind but it's when someone's able to kind of like touch my own soul or like touch my own change how i view things so I, that's how i try and now come into it just being as holistic as possible with it um and i guess to go from there so i want to go into like okay how do we pray now i know that's a huge question um and there's different prayers for different times um but i guess it's a very open-ended question but in the last couple of months or this past year what have you learned recently that's helped you pray, you know, more deeply or more faithfully? Practical tips. Uh, maybe we can start with that and just see where it branches off to. I mean, I might, hope, might have more thoughts, but one thing I've been learning that's been really helpful is understanding that your prayer life should grow and change. Mm-hmm. Meaning, I think there are almost like levels of intimacy 
that you get to when you pray. So even like when I get to know somebody, when you first talk to somebody, it's all like surface level cliche things that you talk about. And then when you get deeper, you get to know more about their their thoughts and their opinions. But at one point it actually becomes like vulnerable and like intimate, but that doesn't happen like right away. It's almost like over time. And as you continue to converse with them, and I kind of think prayer, if it's a conversation, it works the same way with God. Like in the beginning, it might sound like, you know what you're doing, you're just kind of throwing words up there. Very normal. I think at one point there's almost like structure that you could sometimes implement, like the Lord's Prayer, or if you guys are familiar with like the ACTS acronym, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, all helpful as well. But I think a lot of us, we kind of almost stop at like the ACTS level where it's like the structured prayer that's there, which it's almost the equivalent of like playing an instrument, like the musical notes, it's really helpful in the beginning. But at one point you have to like start playing jazz and that's when music gets like fun and same with conversations. Like when you get to that deep level, all of a sudden the structure, it's kind of almost like underlining, but you're not really just looking at the notes anymore. You're just kind of going. So understanding there's like levels of intimacy and your prayer life is actually meant to get deeper. I think a lot of us, the big struggle is like we're praying the same way that we did like in junior high. And it's like, oh, your intimacy has stopped at junior high with God. And it's actually meant to get a lot deeper than that. So this understanding like prayer is meant to be this evolving thing. That's been really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, also don't think there's a one size fits all. And I think sometimes we get really caught up in the technique of prayer. Like, is there a right way to pray? Um, yeah. Like when um, uh, I did a sermon on prayer a few months ago and, um, one of the things we talked about was um, when you think about, you know, what Paul was talking about in First Thessalonians when he says pray without ceasing, he's talking about praying everything, everywhere, every day. And the way we broke that down was like you pray everything in the sense that bring all your emotions to God because he can take it. Sometimes maybe like the only emotion you have in that moment is fear or anger or grief. And I think sometimes like we have this thing where like we we might express anger or grief but like we feel like we're supposed to like bring it back at the end like we almost feel like we have to impress god or we have to like you know we have to we almost have to like take care of god's feelings by like at the end adding like a bow on it like you know putting a bow on it at the end um, but you know, when you, when you look at all the prayers that are modeled for us, not only in the Psalms, even when you think about Jesus prayer in, in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, he's basically like, I don't know if I can do this dad, you know, do I have to do this? And I think he gives us a model of praying everything we say, pray everywhere. And I think this is really important because I, I do think there are we need to give ourselves grace for different seasons of our lives. Like I'm sure for all of us, our prayer lives changed when we became dads, you know, and it's just, there are certain things you don't have the time and space to be able to do as much as we might've been able to do it when we were single. And I don't think that means like our prayer life has to be non-existent. You know, I think we, whether you're in a prayer closet or you are like, feeding your child in at three in the morning, I think um, you should pray where you are, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think you can essentially like any space or any place can become an altar of prayer. And then every day, you know, and kind of Tom mentioned this too. Like, I think it is very interesting that when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, it was a daily prayer, you know, give us this day our daily bread. And Mm -hmm. I think they're, he almost builds into that prayer the implication that, you know, hey, you're going to have worries about tomorrow, five years later, but like it's this daily communing with God. Give me the grace I need for today. Yeah. And it becomes woven into our daily existence. And so I think that's been a helpful kind of paradigm for me as I think about like, so it like my prayer today may not look like my prayer yeah, yeah. a week from today, you know, or a year from today. And if you're like a young mom, your prayers are not going to look the same <laughs> with yes. the young child as when they're older, or if you don't have kids, which is fine. Right. Which is, there's no standard. And yeah, I, I like what Jason said. Like my advice would be to start off with this is like, just try anything. And honestly, try, try new stuff because we've been so programmed to be like, pray this way, the ax way, or whatever you've been taught. When you, when you read the Psalms, it's like, 
There's such a wide spectrum of prayers that are given to us as a model, uh, and, and the Lord's Prayer being one of them too. I've always found recently that just praying in new ways is helpful. Like one of the things that someone suggested to me, I think on Twitter conversing with someone was, hey, get a book of common prayer and pray through that. Like it may seem very mechanical. Um, it may seem very old English, but it's 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 tested time for a reason, you know? Um, another thing is like centering prayer. Again, if if you're not new to like contemplative practices, this may sound cultish or like, whoa, this is like therapy and self-help. But I'm always in the boat of like, dude, just do whatever to get yourself to pray. Like whatever it is. Centering prayer is the idea of just you know, not praying uh, a, a flow of emotions or thoughts, but just one word or phrase or even silence like over and over again to kind of, you know, in this ADHD world that Tom mentioned before, to center yourself in God's presence. Um, silence is huge, right? So like even using that as an aid too. Mm-hmm. Like um, silence and solitude unlock something so deep for me in prayer. Like, you know, because it, like I, uh, our staff meetings on Tuesday, we try to open every staff meeting with silence, solitude. And it's just like, you know, I think about Ignatius who said, the heart of prayer is looking at God, looking at you in love, mm. you know? And I think nothing helps you do that than when you're just still and you're not saying anything to God. God is not a means to an end. Like that time is the end in and of itself. And you're just letting God, you're just sitting there in God's presence. Yeah. And there is something really about that that kind of sets your posture in a very specific way when yeah. you start speaking and it's a different perspective of what jason just said too is like i also think silence creates boredom but boredom is where some amazing things come out so meaning like your college friends like what what led to those crazy deep talks at 2 a.m like at a taco stand or in a car or like when you're driving down to san diego or whatever it's like just complete boredom led you to like discuss all these stupid topics and you discuss everything you already talked about and you're bored and there's this awkward pause in the car ride or with your, you know, whatever, whatever. And then all of a sudden it's like you get into a very deep conversation. And I realized when we just actively to Tom's point are just like, I know what to say, you know, in this very ADHD world, it's just this superficial level of yourself you're praying out to. But when you're silent, you got to deal with your stuff sometimes that you don't want to deal with. And then your prayers become real. Like they're not superficial anymore. Yeah, and speaking to that, like I notice, like when I'm in the car ride with somebody that I don't know, I'm always trying to fill the gaps. I'm mm-hmm. always talking, so bringing up stuff yeah, because yeah. you know you don't want that awkwardness to be there. So you're just like always like you know. So what about this? And you're asking questions and just getting the dialogue flowing. Versus when I'm driving with my wife, dude, like most of the times mm-hmm. we're kind of quiet, just listening to music together in the background. And it's like, oh, it's actually the moments of silence that indicates intimacy and being comfortable in that silence that's there. And it made me realize, like, oh man, like when our parents prayed like those two, three hour prayer meetings. I don't think they're like talking the whole time. Like mm-hmm. there is like silence that's there and you're just like in the presence of God. And that made a lot more sense of how people prayed so long. They're not just like having this conversation the entire two hours, but you're sometimes just being with, with each other. And that's like the beauty of prayer. Hmm. That's good. Any, any tips on how, you know, I think silence is really big, um, but moving forward to like any tips on how you scripture, with prayer because i often to our point too they almost kind of stay separated in our mind like hey i'm a prayer guy or girl i'm, I'm a scripture guy or girl but <laughs> to our points before I, I feel like even jesus you kind of see it modeled with him when you are able to mix god's words with your own words i think a deeper level of prayer is also reached but any thoughts or tips on how to do that i mean i know for me like this kind of like an archaic concept, maybe things that we learned in like high school, but the idea of like a quiet time, mm-hmm. like that's just been something that I realized, oh, you're actually creating space and you're kind of wedding all the different practices together in one yeah. space, like yeah. science and solitude, prayer, scripture reading, and you're just having that full dialogue with God. And I feel like that's kind of usually the space where I intertwine everything. Like my scripture reading is accompanied and wedded with prayer. So it's not just I'm reading my Bible. I'm actually in the presence of God. I think if you separate it, then it can kind of create this disjointedness that's there, but kind of making sure it's like in that same space, it's really helpful for me. Hmm. 
That's why I I personally am a big still a big proponent of scripture memorization,、mm, um, yeah. because I do think it's really powerful in、um, like when you're praying, and it's like as you're memorizing scripture and you、um, you know though they almost become embedded in your heart as you're praying, like without even knowing you're praying for something, and these verses, like random verses, will come to mind. You know, and I do think that's like a helpful way where scripture is kind of like constantly now, you know, filling your heart and mind even as you pray. It's kind of like it's with everything, right? They say that you know we we are now connected to the digital IV, and so like you know we're like we're having a random conversation and we are using lingo, referencing memes, and you know, talking about things that we. Saw on our social media feed or our social media algorithm, but like you know, when you're filling your mind with scripture, memorizing scripture, like it's amazing which how verses will just pop up as you're praying, and I do think that's really helpful.、Mm-hmm. I always say, or I try and practice, like sandwich, sandwich your discipline. So either if you're a prayer person, then read the scriptures, pray, and then read the scriptures to end. If you're a scripture person, pray, read scripture, and pray. Like it just helps to gain because everyone's wired differently, like we mentioned, right? And it's not a battle of these disciplines or the mind or the heart or the, or the soul, but it's a holistic approach to discipleship that I think we need、um, to grow deeper in.、Um, any, we'll, we'll have last thoughts too, but one last scheduled topic.、Uh, any thoughts on like communal prayer? So you know, I I do think there is such a a lack of like、uh, of course individual discipline of prayer, but also just communal prayer. Like I think in our minds, the only space we have for communal prayer is these like late night retreat yelling. You hear tongues here and there, and you, we haven't even talked about tongues yet. But let, let's whatever. <laughs> um, but like you know, that's that's the only framework that we have, and it's just not sustainable. So I guess for you guys, especially as lead pastors, just planning like the vision and ministries of the church. What are your thoughts on communal prayer, especially in a church setting? I mean, huge. I I also think it's very telling that when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray,、mm-hmm. it was Our Father.、Mm-hmm. You know, the the nature of the prayer itself was communal. Yes.、Um, yeah, and and I I agree with you. I think at somewhere down the line, we made prayer this like. Purely individual, like me and God, vertical thing. Yeah. But it's like some of the most powerful and like imp- significant like moments of prayer that I've had are with other people.、Yeah. So like, you know, I do think like、um, we try in our community groups like to build in intercessory prayer where you're praying for each other.、Um, I do think that's huge.、Um, you know, we have pre-service prayer. You know.、Um, Before our service starts, and any opportunities like within like classes that we teach or、um, on Sunday where we can encourage people to pray together, I think is really powerful. Yeah, there's a book that I told you guys about, Paul Miller's book, A Praying Church, and our church like we're having people go through that. And one thing he says, I'm like, that's so true. Is just because your church prays in the same place, it doesn't mean they're praying together.、Mm. Like everybody in that same space, they're doing like their own individual dialogue with God, and so that's you know that's not praying as a church. You're praying、yeah. in the same room, but like real praying together is like what Jason mentioned. Like you're there's intercessory going on, intercessory prayers. And one thing he suggested, I was like, that's really true as well. Is what actually fuels your prayer and doesn't even feel like a burden is the more specific you get, because、yes. when you hear like these stories that people are going through. That is like your prompt for prayer, and I actually think that's true because I, I was talking to our, our prayer team, and we were saying like if if we gave the church a topic like hey let's pray we're a missional church, for some reason when I hear that and I you know, that's my prompt I'll pray but yeah, it yeah. feels you know so vague yeah, it's yeah. kind of a drag like okay I guess you know we'll pray for that it's like a campaign donation to like a <laughs> almost you know yeah, yeah. versus if we're like hey there's like a sister in our church、mm. she's been coming for the past like six weeks I think she's this close to accepting Christ. Can we pray for the sister? You guys know her; she's there. Like, let's lift her up in prayer. If I hear like that story, like it just kind of sparks something for me to pray for them, and that's like when the church is like uniting over 
real things that are happening to pray versus these generalities that we're just throwing out there to the church. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think that often God uses the church and the community like um, as a means of like, there are times when like, I don't feel like I have the words to pray or, you know, I, mm-hmm. and somebody else, mm-hmm. basically, when I hear them pray, um, they're giving me those words. You know, there is this sense of like, communal solidarity it's like oh man like to hear different people in their unique voices pray for something together there's something really profound about that and one thing that's really cool too that we've been chatting about as well is like not just praying for each other but like praying boldly yeah Uh, like one thing that we were talking about is how like some of our prayers they're like so safe and like <laughs> protective with like spirituality, like, Lord, would you bless this family? But your will be done. <laughs> yeah. You know, we know it's going to happen, but whatever yeah. you sovereignly d- determine it. But, you know, and it's like, if I was on the receiving end of that, I'd be like, what do you want, man? Like, what are you asking for? And you know, when you actually see how Jesus teaches prayer, like there's like the parable, of like the, the woman pleading to the judge. It's like, she's like pleading, like, you know, give this to me. And I remember I was really moved when like a brother at our church, like we, we heard like news of a sister, she was going through something and it's like a timetable what's happening. And he like mentioned to her like, hey, all that kingdom prayer stuff, I'm gonna pray for that later. Right now, let's pray for a miracle. And we just like pray that this miracle would happen mm-hmm. in her life. I'm like, dude, yes, like that's exactly the type of prayer that I think Jesus wants. But I feel like for a lot of us, we're almost like afraid to give those type of prayers to God. Yeah, yes. that's so good. Because, like, we pray like insurance broker, brokers, like, just like, hey, I'm, I'm gonna pray, but you know, there's insurance on this, so if it doesn't hit, yeah, we're like giving God out, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know, we almost yeah. like don't want to be disappointed, yeah, so like protecting yeah. ourselves. That's you know? how cynical we've become, right? And then, you know, to that point, I do think there's like an incorrect way of like praying guarantees of like, right, like this person will be healed, like, with an exclamation mark. But I do. I, I love that. That it's just like we gotta learn how to pray with confidence and mm. <laughs> with boldness. Because that's even in my own prayers. Like I've been so trained to do that as a pastor. Because I don't want to be the pastor that guarantees healing and then you know they're they're not there. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I guess so. I you know the only thing I would add to you is like I you know with praying communally. And I think Tom said something to spark this. Where even for me to plan it, I've I've planned a lot of our prayer nights at our church. Very like. Hey, we're gonna have a space where you can come and pray individually and i would give topics but a lot of them are individual and i just realized and we're trying to do this this year too but to tom's point it's even more gears are churning that like i really need to provide space to practice praying for each other because without that mm-hmm. like they're not gonna do it just just being realistic with our church people right Mm-hmm. And I love that mm-hmm. where like you, even our, our new prayer thing, we're going to do in the morning and we're going to say like, Hey, we're going to pray. And then at the end, we're going to break off into groups, talk about your prayer life. And just, I think one thing we're going to say is like, Hey, just, if you feel comfortable, touch them, like lay hands and pray audibly. Don't do this. Like, you know, Korean Americans love like, Hey, we're going to all pray really quick in silence. And then some person will close in prayer and really like no one's really praying. And the person that prays just like, kind of like, Oh, I don't even remember all the prayer requests, but you will be even done, even like the mode of prayer because i recently learned like the idea of like clasping your hands in prayer yeah. that's actually a modern invention to get kids to like not fidget <laughs> around and move around but most people when they pray like hands up on their knees yeah, yeah. but we've been kind of taught like prayer is like this individualized thing which you know there are moments for that but that is actually mm-hmm. a modern practice of prayer it's not the way that most of the church actually prayed yeah yeah so good um yeah that's helpful any any last thoughts hacks tips before we end anything random that you've read that's been helpful recently i know two two quick things if people like struggle with prayer um two things that i think might be helpful is uh, to your point eugene the idea of like you know getting a book of common prayer and like praying through that just know before i was I would actually not be into that because like, dude, why would you pray someone else's prayers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's so mm-hmm. like, dude, be authentic, be real. Like don't script it out, especially don't read these prayers from other people. Like why are you reciting the Lord's Prayer as a church? It's because it's like this religious thing that you're just doing without yeah. really thinking about it. And of course it can get to that if you only rely upon pre-made prayers. But mm-hmm. actually I was struck recently the idea like, dude, the Psalms are pre-made prayers. The Psalms mm-hmm. are not meant to be read through. They're meant to be prayed through. 
And the idea of like praying pre-made prayers actually gets you going to like create a conversation with God. And again, it's like the music notes. Like if you don't know where to start, start there. Like find, if you don't have the words, read someone else's words and pray through that. Cause that's the whole purpose of what the Psalms are is for you to kind of gain that language for prayer. And another thing too is, um, again, I was reading like an article with a group of people. I told this story to Eugene and it's like this, this person like was saying, when you pray like this long, like you start seeing like these visions and so forth. It was really kind of kooky stuff that, you know, that's not really like our tribe and all of us are just like critiquing, like, dude, this is weird and so forth. And I remember we had to pause and be like, wait a second, but this person prays, like, do we pray? Mm -hmm. Like, who are we to criticize this person and the way they're praying, even if it's kooky, I'd, it'd be a lot more respectable if we prayed as much as them yeah. and we had something to say. Yeah, yeah. And so I realized like prayer, the way you actually learn it best is not by like reading books or by getting sermon lessons, but it's actually practicing it. It's like a foreign language. Like you can't, there's only so many like dramas you could watch to gain the language. The main way you learn how to speak it is by speaking the foreign language yourself. I think that's the true of prayer, like stumble forward, just keep stumbling. And at one point you'll kind of find like your own language of how to talk to God. Hmm. That's good. Um, one practical thing maybe that has helped me is, um, reserving a time, um, almost like Google calendaring mm. times to pray. And it, I think when it comes to prayer, for some reason, it feels very, um, that doesn't feel organic and that feels very contrived, but in the same way that I think like as your life gets busier, like we have, Carol and I have to actually like Google calendar date nights because we know that we're not gonna just stumble upon yep. intentional time to spend with one another. And so like we, until prayer becomes just like a natural habit in your life, I do think it's really helpful to just literally reserve time. During that time, remove distractions um, and it could be, it could be 10 minutes, you know, um, in the day, but where you say like, okay, this is an actual, it's not like an afterthought, like I'm going to get to it if I have time, but I'm actually going to set aside time to pray. I think that's been really helpful. Do you guys have like a spot where you pray? I don't. I, I, Cause I know like that was like a suggestion, like you need like a chair or something. And mm. I actually found that to be really helpful. Like there's mm. like a designated place where when you're there, like let's say it's like your chair or like this corner of your room, you're almost like prompting your body. Like this mm -hmm. is prayer time yeah, versus yeah, if yeah. you're like, oh, I'm just gonna pray whenever I have time. And you're like lying in your bed on your phone. Like, oh, I guess I should pray. Your body is just like not ready at all to pray. You're about to sleep, but having like a designated place, I feel like is super helpful. So I know for me, that was uh, like, I have like this chair that this office I go to, that's like my prayer spot. I don't know if you guys have a spot. Oh, that's a good idea actually, a chair. I yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I. the only other thing I would add is, and I got this, I think, from Tyson indirectly. But John, you know, John Tyson, if you don't know, he's kind of very charismatic, very wild. And he said, you know, most of my time in ministry is just walking the streets of Manhattan, oh, just yeah. praying. And, you know, like, I'm like, I, I believe him. Like, he's, he's, <laughs> he's that type of dude, you know. But one thing that kind of when he said that made me realize is, like, don't box yourself in. That I Look, I think you should have a very, to Jason's point, specific time where you're like sitting down and like contemplating kind of, you know, in the traditional prayer method. I think that's the baseline. But also like I'm trying to learn how to pray also to Jason's point. He kind of foreshadowed it just like anywhere and everywhere. Mm -hmm. So meaning like oftentimes we're like, we're so sanctimonious with our prayer ideas that it's like it cannot be this. Or it, I'm just like, dude, if I'm if I'm just like angry at someone, I'm like, I just pray. I'm like. Like God, like what? What the hell is going on? You know, like I, w w you know, and just stuff like that. Right? If I'm driving, I pray. If one thing I'm really trying to do is just walk and just like pray, and it's very scattered. It's not pretty. It's not the Psalms, but I think it's a a weapon to add in your arsenal, like uh, of prayer that just kind of helps holistically round you out. So, yeah, cool. Well, yeah, just pray. I think that's to, if you want to know how to pray. Like I don't think any. You know, I would say. And, and I think all three of us uh, would agree. Like, if we did this episode at the beginning of our podcast, it would have sounded very different. I think we've been through a lot of changes, mm. personally, theologically, spiritually, in our churches, that we've realized. Like, I think if we did this episode early, it would have been very like, hey, like, have you guys Pr heard of the Acts? Acts. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Adoration. You know, like, these are some scriptures. Like, that's what we'd have said. 
but as you can tell very different um we just hope that you guys can yeah just learn the beauty of prayer and just pray anywhere you go <laughs> someone did ask even in our in our um uh, mailbag like any prayer requests that you guys have for, for, for our listeners uh maybe we'll share next episode we don't have time but i you know i love that our listeners are, are hungry for prayer so just pray if you can if you're at a church and you're leading set aside time for communal prayer i think it's really helpful for your congregation too in whatever small way so thanks for listening we have a lot of interviews coming up um some exciting people some recurring guests so just be ready for that. We're going to try our best to also sparse out some episodes, just us three as well. But thanks for listening. Hope you're blessed. And if you can, rate us and give us comments. But other than that, hope to see you in our next episode.